0: Thank you for listening to the Share Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at sharingchurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. All right. John chapter 16, we are continuing our series called That You May Believe as we walk through the book of John. We're in the midst now of this last uh, night before the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, most scholars believe it would have been the Thursday night of that Passion Week. We've had the Last Supper. All of those things have happened. And Jesus now is going to formally introduce to them uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. In some translations, would say the Comforter. Some say the Advocate. Uh, the one that I'll read, the ESV, says the Helper. This morning, is how Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to see here the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation, in bringing people to Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus drops this information now. We're going to put it in context as to why now. And it might surprise us as to why now. When we hear help for, helper and comforter or counselor, we might have a different idea as far as what that means. And Jesus is going to lay out to us what he actually means by the gift of the Holy Spirit I don't know if you've followed Jesus for a while or not, but have you ever stopped to think how crazy it is, the things that we believe? It's crazy. I mean, to to the world, the things that we believe are just crazy. Um, In my house, um, one thing that I cling to and believe is that vanilla ice cream should be joined with creamy peanut butter. Anybody else agree with me on this? See, you should, you should agree with me. It's amazing. It is amazing. Anybody put peanuts on your ice cream? Just peanuts? Uh Uh-huh. Then what's your problem with peanut butter? I don't understand what your deal is. Yeah, so I have, I've grown up, I don't, I have no idea where it started. Um, Grew up, it was me and five younger sisters, so six kids. Um, Whenever we'd have ice cream, we didn't have enough money for toppings, so I would just find whatever's in the house, apparently, and I just put peanut butter in my vanilla ice cream, and I think there's no other way for me to eat ice cream than with a spoonful of peanut butter I'll dip the peanut butter, and then I'll scoop the vanilla ice cream, creamy peanut butter, and then it's, I can't even tell you how good it is. It's amazing. It is amazing. And you're looking at me like I'm a crazy person, um, and I am, but that's not why I'm crazy. But the... I can tell you all the things, and I can tell you all the ways that the saltiness of the peanut butter mixes with the creamy sugar of the ice cream. It just creates this explosion of deliciousness in my mouth. I could tell you all of that. I could tell you about um, George Washington Carver and how he he was a peanut farmer and how he did all of these things. And I've learned that from my second grader. And how I've learned how these peanuts now, but then if you look at, if you get the right kind of cow with the right kind of milk and the right kind of cream, and it just makes this explosion of flavor. I could tell you all about the facts of this peanut butter with ice cream. I could tell you all about it. I could tell you about um, the different kinds of brands that are the best for that and how, um, depending on where you fall in your socioeconomic scale, what actually makes sense for you in that most of us, Bluebell does not make sense for us. To mortgage my house to buy a gallon of Bluebell. but if I did, um, I would do that. And I can tell you all the things about it, and I would still never convince you how good it is. And in many ways, I would never convince you that it's as good as I think that it is. You would never come fully to my side about how good this is. We all have things like that, don't we? We all have just these random, ridiculous things, whether it's food, uh, preferences in other areas of life that just, it matters deeply to you. And if you've ever tried to convince someone else of, of how important this is, you've gotten the glassy stare or the really polite Southern people are like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Bless your heart. <laughs> That's how we, uh, we try to convince people of that. In the very same way, if we would just stop, Christians, if we would just stop and think about the things that we believe about Jesus, there is no human way to convince somebody about the power of God. None. There is no human way to convince someone of their depravity, of the darkness of sin they walk in. Have you ever tried to tell someone how bad of a person they are? Has that gone well for you? Right, you, you can't. It leads them to some sort of just deep depression and psychological uh, wrestling where it leads them to argue with you and point out how bad of a person that you are. There's, we can't, we can't convince someone of the depths of their sin. As much as we try in apologetics and in science to prove the existence of God, you know that we it's just hard. It's just hard. We can, Sure, we have things to prove the existence of Jesus and his death, maybe, and then that the tomb was empty and we have the Shroud of Turin and we have all of these things, but when it comes down to faith, the things that we believe are just crazy. And yet, we spend a lot of our time Trying to convince the world about something that we have no earthly human way to convince them of. Following Jesus Christ, giving our lives to Jesus, is only purely an act of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that illuminates our eyes, illuminates our hearts to what is actually true in the world. And so for many of us, we've stopped trying to share our faith because we have found that human reason, human logic is fallible. And we we always come to an end of our metaphors. We always come to an end of of talking to people about how broken and depraved they are. We've we've come to an end of that. And so so some of us have just backed off completely from sharing our faith. Some of us have children in our homes right now who do not know Jesus. And we've backed off with the idea that, you know, well, I don't want to force it on them. And maybe if they would believe and... And we've completely backed off. We look at the world now. And while we have backed off of sharing our faith, we are very bold about telling the world how wrong they are. How's that going for us? If we're gonna read here in John chapter 16, belief, faith, the craziness of our faith, of what we do. Now, to those of us on this side, we would say, it's not crazy. This is the only thing that makes sense in the entire world. Much like I would tell you the only way to eat ice cream is with a spoonful of creamy peanut butter. Because on this side, what I've tasted and I've seen, the Lord is good. It's how we bring people in. So Jesus here in context has washed the disciples' feet He has, uh, we've walked through um, the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are the ones that exist inside of the vine. That's where we get our sustenance and where we produce fruit. But he recognizes, I mean, he's minutes away from being betrayed by Judas. And in this moment, he's going to recognize where the disciples are emotionally. And he's not going to meet them in the same way that we often meet people who are in darkness emotionally who are in fear, he's gonna meet them in a way that I hope compels our church forward with the gospel. Jesus is not going to offer comfort to their fear. He's gonna remind them of their calling. He's not gonna coddle and comfort and snuggle with. He's going to remind them that there is light in the darkness. Let's go to John chapter 16. Um, I'm gonna start in verse one. We're gonna go back into 15 in just a bit, but I wanna start in John chapter 16, verse one. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Some of your translations say to keep you from stumbling. I've said all of these things to you. I've, I've told you all of these hard things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And not, That's not just, hey, you can't come back to church. That is, you are excommunicated from your family. You're excommunicated from everything within your tradition that you've held dear. They're gonna push you out of the, of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. And we'll come back to that. Verse three. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus has said this a few times. I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future so that when it does, you will know that I am who I claim to be. Continuing in uh, this verse, verse four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You didn't need me to say things to you because I was living them in front of you. I didn't need to give you wisdom. I didn't need to give you what I'm about to give you because I was with you. And in the very same way that when you have children that begin to drive for the first time, you begin telling them things you didn't tell them when they were five and six years old because it didn't matter then. But now it matters. When you send a, a, a child off to college for the first time, you should have some conversations with them that maybe you hadn't had up until that point. Jesus is saying, now it's time for me to have this conversation with you. But now, verse five, I am going to the, him who sent me, and none of you asks where are you going? They've kind of asked that question before. Jesus knows, and if you pay attention to the disciples, ask, they ask questions constantly. They understand nothing about what Jesus says. Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, they've got a ton of questions. Um, Jesus heals people, they've got a ton of questions. Jesus feeds the 5,000, they've got a ton of questions, but now they are so shocked they don't have the questions. Jesus says in verse six, so because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Bold, upside down kind of statement. And even today, I wonder how many of us have said these words, I wish that I could just have been around when Jesus was walking on the earth. I wish that I could have been there when he was performing miracles and giving the Sermon on the Mount. I, I just wish if I was walking with him, I feel like my faith would be a lot easier. Anybody said that before? Anybody felt that way? Cool, just me and Brad, awesome. I've wondered that before. And now Jesus says, no, no, it's actually better that I go away. It's because many of us have this pride of, man, if I was one of the disciples, I wouldn't have gotten it wrong like they did all the time. sure. And so now he's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you that I go away. And then he gives us why. If I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, comforter will not come to you. But if I I do go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and it's better... Because when I go away, when I remove the external presence of God in the world, when I go away, I'm going to send you a helper. Back in John chapter 14, Jesus mentioned the helper for the first time, and he says this in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus uses the word another. So when he references the Holy Spirit as the helper, he's calling him another helper, Jesus, then, what he's saying uh, by allusion is that he is the first helper. He's going to give them another helper. There are a number of, of Greek words, which is what this is written, a number of Greek words for another. Uh, two main ones, heteros and alos. alos allos, A-L-L-O-S, allos There's two different ones. Heteros would mean um, uh, the same type of thing, but very different. So along the same lines, so heterosexual means that um, you are in love with, you are attracted to someone in the same species, but altogether a different kind. Am I right? That's what heterosexual means. Alos is the idea uh, that you would, it's the same thing, but in a different form. It's the, very much the same, but in a different form. So let's just do it this way. If I, if I were to give you uh, an album, an album of music, and I gave it to you, could be a CD, it could be a vinyl, it could be um, something on a thumb drive, it could be whatever it is, a, a cassette tape, and I gave that to you, and you played it, and you're like, ah, I don't, I don't like this. I'm going to go buy another one. You're not going to go buy another one of the same band or that same album. You're going to buy the same, you're going to buy a cassette tape, a record, a vinyl, a CD, but you're going to do it of a different band or a different kind. That's hetero. Music, but a completely different genre, completely different band. Now, if I gave you music and you said, Man, I love this music, and I said, Oh, that's fine, why don't you keep it? I'm gonna go buy another one. That's Alos, meaning I'm gonna buy another one of the same kind. Does that make sense? I'm gonna buy the same. So when Jesus says another helper is coming, he's using the word alos, which means when the Holy Spirit comes, he is another one of me. He's not completely different. He's another one of me. So in the very ways that Jesus was uh, the idea, the perception, perfection of righteousness, the way that he lived and spoke on behalf of God, when he sends the Holy Spirit, he's sending him as a spirit. It's it's the same thing. So when when we say the Holy Spirit is within us, when we pray through the Spirit, when we uh, live by the Spirit, he's not the JV version of God. He's not third string. Like, well, I mean, we did the God thing, then Jesus, so I guess you're just stuck with this one. No, he, in the same form, he is Jesus, but he's Jesus with us forever. He is another helper to be with you forever. This is what Jesus is saying. It's to your advantage, because I'm gonna give you another version. I'm gonna give you another helper. And look in verse 8 of John chapter 16. When he comes, so again, the spirit is not an it, it's a he. When the person of the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the work of the Spirit to convict the world. It is not our job to convict the world. No matter what you've read and the tracks you hand out and bumper stickers on your car and your social media statuses and your away message on MySpace, whatever it is, it's not our job. To convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is the work of the Spirit. Jesus says, when I go away, I will send you another helper. And his role is to convict, to convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says in verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe me. He will convict the world regarding sin. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus. Every sin finds its root here in that they don't believe me. So, does the Holy Spirit convict the world in regards to their sins, plural, in regards to uh, drunkenness and drug addiction and pornography addiction and homosexuality and, and sexual perversion? Does the, world, does, does the Spirit convict the world through those things? Not explicitly. He convicts the world in that they don't believe in Him. It's the work of the Spirit. Secondly, concerning righteousness or right living, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Spirit will convict the world regarding righteousness. But then he gives us a because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So here's we got a little bit of work here. What Jesus is saying is because I'm going to the Father, there's a lot of what that means. What that means is it is finished. When he sits down on the right hand of the Father, he is the righteousness of God. The Spirit convicts the world in this way. In the world, and many of us still, we believe that righteousness is on a sliding scale. Well, I might not be completely righteous, but I'm way better than my neighbor. Because that guy never mows his lawn. His dog poops in my yard constantly. And He lives with his girlfriend. So therefore, I have become the standard of righteousness. The world has a sliding scale of righteousness. I'm I'm as righteous as the next person is unrighteous. I find my righteousness not in comparison to the plumb line of Jesus, but comparison to somebody else. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will convict the world in this way. There is no righteousness apart from Jesus. God demands perfection and holiness. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will have uh, no standing with me. You will not be with me, Jesus says. He will convict the world regarding the fact that no matter how good they are, they're still not righteous enough. No matter how many wells they build in Africa, still are unrighteous compared to Jesus. It's the Spirit's job to convince the world, convict and convince the world regarding sin, regarding righteousness, and then verse 11, concerning judgment. But this is the one that we like. We wanna do this part. This part's fun. It's the Spirit's job concerning judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. There's something that happens when the Spirit moves into the heart or into the uh, mind of an unbeliever that somehow awakens them to a judgment, awakens them to the fact that There's something going on behind what's going on. And Jesus says, when I go, I will send the helper. And this spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. These things, they're not logical. They cannot be won by human cunning and craftiness or debate or even apologetics. It's only done by the Holy Spirit. You and I can never convince the world that they are broken to a point of needing a savior, that we can never do that, never. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Back up into Acts 16, verse seven. So here's, here's where we have to do some work. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who's he speaking to? The disciples. The disciples who would later begin the ministry of the church, when he says, the the Spirit will come. The Spirit's not coming to the world. It's coming to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. Then verse eight, and when he comes, and the idea here is to you. So yes, the Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit does that. But how does the Spirit do that? Well, Jesus tells us the Spirit is not coming to live in some ethereal realm of the world. He's coming to live in the church. He's coming to live in the followers of Jesus. And in so doing, Spirit-indwelt followers of Jesus, when he comes to you, when, when the church is full of the Spirit, he will do the work of convicting the world. When the followers of Jesus are full of the Holy Spirit, this other helper, this other kind of Jesus, then the world is convinced of their sin and concerning righteousness and judgment. You want to know how the world is convinced that they need a Savior when the church is full of the Spirit. That's how. It's not by our propagating, it's not by our voting, it's not by our social media, it's not by our street corners. When the church, when the followers of Jesus are full of the Holy Spirit, the world is convicted regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit comes to the Christian, to the church, as the conduit of salvation where Jesus says, I'm going away and things are bad. I'm going away. But it's to your advantage that I am going away because Jesus is not offering the Holy Spirit as a means of comfort. Hey, it's okay, baby. It's okay. It's okay the world's like that. It's okay. No, no, no. As a means of calling. As Jesus ends uh, John chapter 15, he tells the disciples, the world is going to hate you. I mean, they're already fearful. They're already not sure about what's happening. And Jesus comes to them and says, listen, you think it's bad now. It's just going to get worse. The world will hate you because the world hates me and you are mine. There's coming a day where you won't have the favor of the world. The world will hate you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, but you're not of this world. Therefore, the world hates you, he tells his disciples. And then in John 15, 26, as he ends that into chapter 16, he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit glorifies Jesus Elevates Jesus, bears witness about Jesus, but look at verse 27 and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, the helper, Jesus in spirit form comes to the church as a means of comfort and counsel and advocation and help. He comes to the church when the world is the darkest. God sends the Spirit to the Christian, not as a means of defense, but as a means of offense. Does that make sense? He hasn't sent the Spirit to cuddle us. He hasn't sent the Spirit just to give us peace that way we will just float through the rest of our lives. No, no, he's given us the Spirit as a weapon of war against the power of darkness. This is how Jesus comforts his disciples in his last moments. He says, it's getting darker, I'm sending the Spirit, and he's coming to you, and when he does, he's gonna push back the darkness in the world. This is how we win the battle. At the end of John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, amen? But take heart, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world and he sends another helper like him, you know what that means? Then we have overcome the world. Take heart, you will have tribulation. It is going to get darker, but I have overcome the world. Let's go back to verse two of John chapter 16. Now, I just, the Bible is great about giving us an example of what this looks like. Verse two of John chapter 16. Jesus tells them, they will put you out of the synagogues. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. From that moment until it came true, you know how many days went by? About 40. They had 40 days before this prophecy of Jesus came true. 40, 45 days before this came true. And it came true in the person of a man named Saul. Saul, uh, raised in a Jewish family, trained under one of the great Jewish rabbis, Gamaliel. He was rising to power in Jewish and religious and um, in um, political power as well. He's rising to power. The problem is he believes it is his calling to do away with what he calls the way or those who are following Jesus. And he rises to power, he's... The Bible is clear in Acts that he is ravaging the church. So Jesus says there's coming a day when people will try to kill you thinking they're doing a service to God, and a month and a half later, it hits. And it's this man named Saul. Well, before Saul was doing all that, Acts chapter two happened. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came. Like Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit descended, Luke tells us in Acts chapter two, And it sat upon the followers of Jesus in the same upper room they were just in as divided tongues of fire and the spirit filled their souls and they began to speak in tongues of other languages. Peter gets up in Acts chapter three. Peter, who we'll read in a few weeks, um, denied his faith before a servant girl and two other men. He denies knowing Jesus on the night Jesus is arrested. He's running in fear. He wants to go out to fishing, and he's in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter, an unlearned and ignorant man, proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 people come to faith. They're in the upper room thinking, the Spirit's here to comfort us and keep us safe. No, 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 no. The Spirit came to give them power to push back darkness. Peter declares the gospel, 3,000 people come to faith that day and thousands more would follow. You and I are here today because of the sermon of Peter in Acts chapter 3. The church grows and increases in number. and There's just no way for the disciples to care for all the needs. So they appoint what are called deacons, servants of the church to serve the table, serve the needs of the people in the church We've done an awful job in most of our churches of making um, the deacons the JV elders. No, deacons have a high calling. One of the deacons appointed here in Acts is a man by the name of Stephen. When they're looking for deacons, here are the qualifications. One of the great qualifications is, must be full of the Holy Spirit. They appoint a man named Stephen, who uh, we are told in Acts chapter 6 is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, the helper from John chapter 16. He is arrested for being a Christian. He is stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. And Acts chapter 8 begins in this way, and there, affirming the stoning of Stephen, was Saul. Stephen proclaims the gospel. People are awestruck by the peace and joy that he has. They see the Spirit in him. Saul is there. Saul then decides to push his agenda further to take care of of Christians, men, women, and children, drag them out, throw them in jail, and he's on his way to do more of that. And he is met on the road to Damascus by the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus himself, Saul gives his life to Jesus. He would later become Paul, his Greek name, goes by his Greek name, Paul. In Acts chapter nine, God sends a man named Ananias to meet with Saul. And God says, Ananias, I want you to go meet with Saul. And Ananias says, are you sure we're talking about the same Saul? He says, yes, I, I have chosen Saul, and he is my chosen instrument for the furthering of the gospel. And Ananias says, I think you've got the wrong guy because this dude's crazy. And God says, no, no, it's him. I want you to go meet with him. So Ananias, full of the Holy Spirit and power, goes to meet with Saul. He shares the gospel and immediately uh, scales fall off of Saul's eyes and he professes Jesus. God didn't send the Holy Spirit to the church that they would be safe in the upper room. He sent the Holy Spirit to the church that they might be a presence in the darkness and by their mere presence, they would rescue people from the power of hell. This is what it means that we've been given a helper. That a month and a half later, a man named Saul would come to faith in Jesus. Oh, because of, because of the elite Christians? Nope. Oh, because, because of the ones who had studied in Jewish school and who knew, nope. Because of Peter, a man who denied Jesus who denied knowing him, who, who walked in boldness, but when, it came, when push came to shove, he cowered in fear because of Peter, because of a man named Stephen who was a deacon, who was only there to serve people, just to serve people at the tables, to give them meals, because of a man named Stephen and because of a man named Ananias who thought God had the wrong guy. Because of those three people, a man named Saul comes to faith and we get two-thirds of the New Testament. When God sends the Holy Spirit as a helper, a comforter, an advocate, a counselor, it's not to coddle us, it's to call us into action, it's to call us forward into action. I think I've walked some of you through the saga of Kason and his front teeth. Have you, been, have you been aware of this? It's very, it's very big news in our household. Kaysen, um, our seven-year-old, has these two, had these two front teeth in his mouth, in his head, I say, and um, he refuses to let us take them out. I mean, the wind blows and his teeth go with it. It's like some kind of, it's like those, <laughs> those things that fly in front of car dealerships. It's just that happening constantly. And So a few weeks ago, we, get the one, we, get, we got one tooth out and it was just a day of celebration. Jubilee happened in our home and so we just had a feast together. And, um, so that happened, but there was still one left there. And if you've seen him over the past week, that tooth, it's not straight at all. It's, it's at like a 70 degree angle in his mouth. Last night, he had it sticking straight out from his face, and so we, uh, I'm like, buddy, we, we got to do this tonight. We, this has to happen tonight. Like, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, you're going to swallow it, and then I don't, know, I don't know what happens after that. I mean, I think I know what happens, but I don't want to have to find that for the tooth fairy, and so I'm pretty sure we just need to do this now. So um, <clears throat> Meredith and I are having the conversation with him, and Um, so we're having the conversation and he just keeps saying, I'm just so scared. I'm just so scared. I'm just so afraid. And the part of me is like, are you serious right now? You're, well, I don't understand what's happening. So he keeps saying that and keeps saying that. And mama's just holding him and uh, mama's getting a little, a little bit stronger in the way that she's holding him. And and Kason has all the ways. Can we just do it tomorrow night? Can we just do it tomorrow night? Or um, what if I do it myself? And um, Meredith is a dental hygienist, but she's never pulled a tooth before in her life. So Kason says, I want mama to do it. Because he knows mama's not pulling his teeth. So I get close and anyway, everything goes down and we can't pull his tooth. And so I just sit and I'm, listen, bud, listen. I get that you're afraid. But until the tooth comes out of your mouth, you will keep being afraid. This will happen again tomorrow night and, night and the next 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 night until we get that tooth out of your head. Until I pull that tooth, there's no reprieve from your fear because the chance of it coming out, the chance of me having to pull it still exists for you. So No, just, just wait. I'm just so afraid or whatever. And Finally, Meredith pulled his tooth last night, her first tooth that she's ever pulled. I'm so proud. So his tooth comes out. And he's he's like, Mama, you did it. He's so proud of of Meredith. Um, But the case is true for us as well. I think we need to understand this about the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why God didn't give us the Holy Spirit just to huddle in an upper room. Because sure, we can huddle there, but the darkness is coming. Sure, we can huddle and be safe and find our way out of the world so that we're safe, but listen, it's never going to do away with darkness. It's still gonna be there. And we'll face it the next night and the next night and the next night and the next night and the next night. When God sends the Holy Spirit, when Jesus, I gotta go away because it's for your advantage that he comes, he's not saying because it makes you safer, he's saying it's because it makes you powerful. That's why it's better. Because if I stay, sure, I'll protect you, but you don't have anything within you to push back darkness. But if I go and the Spirit comes, darkness is on its heels and running away from us. So inside of our circles in following Jesus, I just we have to ask this question for us. And on Mother's Day, mamas, I know you want your kids to know Jesus. I want my kids to know Jesus in a real and a deep way that moves past intellectual understanding into their hearts. I want that desperately for my kids. And we pray for it every night, and we're in an agony over them that they would know Jesus. But I can't convince my kids to follow Jesus. I can't. I can't do a Bible study. I can't give them apologetics. I, can't, I cannot convince them to follow Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can. Listen, I, some of you have middle schoolers, and I, and I know what you're walking in. And you have high schoolers and college students, and you so desperately want them to know Jesus that what you've done is you've taken the power of conviction from the Spirit, and you've placed it on yourself. You don't need to bear it. You can't. You can do all the right things as a parent and still never convict their hearts that they're a sinner in need of the righteousness of Jesus or else they'll face judgment. Only the Spirit can. Have you prayed for the salvation of your kids? Have you begged for the Spirit to intervene? Because that pressure is not on you, mama. And it's not on you, dad. Your job is to put kindling around the fire of their souls. That when the Holy Spirit descends, when the Holy Spirit comes to convict them concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, there's something that'll burn forever in their hearts. So keep putting kindling around them. Let the Spirit light the flame. What about your work or your school, students? Does this matter to you? Because there's darkness in your school. And God didn't give you the Spirit to keep you safe. He gave you the Spirit to make you powerful. And the things you're running from, the things that you're afraid of, the things that you're locking yourself off from will never go away the more that you run from it. They're only gonna go away the more that you push it back. You have friends. You have friends who are walking in darkness and you call yourself a Christian. You have the spirit of God living in you. Stop running. Face the darkness with the power of the spirit that he might push back darkness. If God saves Saul, he can surely save the bully in your school. Or at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in our world. We will never convince the United States of America, whether right, left, or in the middle, that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Our nation needs the Holy Spirit. Are you praying for that? Or have we defaulted into the work of conviction ourselves? Listen, I don't want to spend the rest of my years playing defense in this war. I don't want to huddle us up where it's safe and just have safe conversations, listen to Christian music and sing Kumbaya and roast our, I don't want to do that. I want want us as a church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to push back darkness in the world. So I'm not running. I'm not running. Is the world dark? Yeah. Is the world getting darker? Maybe. But we've got the power of the Holy Spirit and nothing can stand against us. When God, through Jesus, sends the helper, it's not as a means of comfort, but as a means of calling. If you're fearful of the darkness of the world, you're in good company. But to retreat is not the way of Jesus. But to be fearful, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's when we see the Sauls come to know Jesus. It's when the Bible is written. It's when darkness is pushed back, when nations are turned over, when the presence of God invades dark places. We have to let the conviction go to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be present because the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing through the conduit of the church. And the more that we back off, the more darkness wins the day. And I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for your kids. Let's be on the offensive together through the power of the Spirit. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll just wrestle for a bit. It's a dark world. The problem is the world doesn't know that it's dark. No matter what we proclaim and talk about how wrong they are and how dark they are, it's not working. It's not winning us an inch of ground. But you know it does. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the presence of his church in dark places. So, as for me and my house, we're going to fight. Maybe there's some of you today who through the radical work of the Holy Spirit feel what the Bible calls conviction in your heart. There's a conviction, a convincing that, oh yeah, I don't believe in Jesus. And I can't explain it to you. I can't teach you that. I can't convince you of that or apologize that to you. I can't. But the Spirit has done a work in you. You've, you've awakened the fact that you're a sinner that the only righteousness you have is found in Jesus, the sinless Son of God. And that there's a judgment coming and the only way to freedom is through the righteousness of Jesus. Is there anyone this morning who would say, yeah, I think this morning the Spirit is actually working in my heart. I'm starting to come awake to truth and reality I never saw before. Anybody this morning would raise your hand and say, yeah, today I feel it, I think it's me want to follow Jesus. I've been walking in darkness. We would admit that we're a sinner and that we would, are in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, the perfect righteousness of God who would set us free from the penalty of sin and death. But in a church like ours, most of us are there already, but a lot of us have seen the darkness of the world, and we've retreated into our bunker or we've tried to fight the battle with fleshly conviction. And the Spirit is working in the church to say, that's not the way. It's my job. I've empowered you. Is there anyone here this morning who would say, no, I think I've been fighting it the wrong way? I'm afraid of what's out there. I'm afraid of the darkness of the world, so I've been retreating. Everybody this morning would raise your hand and say, yeah, would you pray for me? I've just been retreating. And I'm growing more and more fearful, more and more afraid, more and more anxious for my kids and their generations. Praise the Lord for your honesty. How many would say, no, I've actually started fighting in the flesh. And I've been posting things and I've been uh, saying things and in my heart is this edge of superiority over the world and I want them to know how bad they are. I gonna raise your hand this morning just in boldness and honesty and say, yeah, that's what's happening for me. Yeah. Holy Spirit has come not to coddle us, but to call us. And I'm ready to wage war on darkness. And the beautiful thing is, the ruler of this world has already been judged. We're already won. I want you to fight with me. God, I thank you for this morning and for the power of your presence. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our counselor and our advocate. And it's his job to convince the world that they're broken, to convince those who aren't following Jesus. It's, it's, it's up to him to bring that to mind. It's just my job to be present. And in an era of the world where information is at our fingertips, God, the world doesn't need us for information, but the world needs us, the church, for interpretation. God, I pray that us, Sharon Church, we would be a force against the enemy through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we put down our weapons of the world and hold fast to the weapons of the Spirit today. I pray for our children. I know, God, there are students in this room today who don't know you. And their mama and their daddy's been praying for them. God, I don't know how you'll do it, but I pray that you would rescue our children from the domain of darkness. Empower us through your spirit to be who you've called us to be, that we would put the enemy on his heels and he would awaken to the fact that Sharon Church is full of the spirit and power and we're coming to take back the land. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. As we go, may we be a church who pushes back darkness. May the Holy Spirit uh, not be a weapon of comfort for us, but a weapon of calling for us. We're praying that this Ola community comes to know Jesus through the power of the Spirit and the presence of our church. May grace and peace be with you. You are dismissed. We love you. Have a great day.